This season of What She Did Next is brought to you by Women's Agenda, a daily news publication for women. Welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. Today we're bringing you some of the highlights from our third season of Conversations with some truly inspiring women. Putting this episode together is always a fun opportunity for me to listen back to the stories we've shared and be inspired all over again by the incredible ways women are stepping up and making their mark on the world. As regular listeners will know, the conversations that we feature are with women from a whole range of backgrounds who've navigated some pretty big changes in their lives and careers. These are women in business, in leadership, in the not-for-profit sector, and in creative industries who share the very personal journeys they've been on and the turning points that sparked a new chapter. For some, these moments inspired a career change. For others, it's been the catalyst to start their own business or passion project or movement for change. The one thing you will notice is that all of these women are doing something pretty purposeful and impactful. And I guess that comes from my own interest in social issues and working in the not-for-profit sector for many years. So if you're looking for inspiration to have a positive impact yourself, you will definitely find it among these stories. I think particularly in the last few months here in Australia, thanks to women like Grace Tame, we've been reminded again of the power of women sharing their stories. And so I hope these conversations spark courage and ideas in you and add to the ripple effect of positive change we're seeing out there. So without further ado, thank you so much for being with us for another season and a big thank you to Women's Agenda for their support of the show. If you like what you hear in the following snippets, you'll find the full episodes in our feed. Our first guest was Jenny McAllister, who shared her powerful story of surviving a stroke at the age of 21 and the challenges of adjusting to life and work with a disability. Jenny also talked about the role of fashion in regaining her sense of identity. And now, as the founder of Styleability, she's setting out to make the fashion industry more inclusive and accessible for the one in five Australians living with a disability. Here's Jenny. Styleability was an idea that came about probably about three or four years ago. I knew that I wanted to do something within the fashion industry, but I just didn't know what that looked like and also what I could do given my situation. And I started to see that Instagram was starting to have this shift in terms of what what was on there and what we were starting to see. It was becoming more and more diverse. And it was fantastic to start to see people with all different disabilities posting about their life and, and not hiding away anymore. And I, I just thought there's a real opportunity here to highlight fashion and disability, but in a way that's probably not been done before. Often fashion for people with disabilities is very old-fashioned or medical grades, hospital grades. And so I wanted to kind of change that and make it more accessible, but also more mainstream. In our next conversation, we heard from filmmaker, academic and author Sanaz Fatui, whose new book, Love Marriage in Kabul, a memoir, has been years in the making. Sanaz travelled to Afghanistan several times as a young woman, 
and it set her on a path to show the world what was happening for women and children in that country. Here's Sanaz. Well, from the day that we got back from Kabul in 2006, and after we made the the short film, which is called Hidden Generation, about women self-burning, I knew that there was so much more that I needed to share because the film that cannot possibly capture what I experienced and also some of the stories that we saw. Um, so I almost felt like I was given a sense of responsibility by some of the women that I met um, who didn't survive. Actually, unfortunately, they didn't survive um, when I met them in the hospitals. Uh, so as soon as we got back, I, I was like, I have to write about this. And so I started the writing process as soon as I got back in 2006. And I started, you know, getting in touch with publishers, with agents, but I didn't really have a story. And I know that now in hindsight. And so I parked that. And then when we went to Afghanistan again in 2009, then there was the added element of everything else I had now witnessed. My next guest was Yanti Tarung, a registered nurse from Australia who lives in the US and has spent the past year working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Having started her career as a muso, she's gone on to become a respected leader in the public health space, starting her own not-for-profit called Learn to Live and lending her skills in Sierra Leone during the Ebola outbreak. Here's Yanti. I mean, I think my experience in Sierra Leone was the preparation for COVID. Looking back now on that life trajectory, um, Sierra Leone for me was, I think, a personal, it was something that I wanted to do. There was an opportunity there. Um, Not sure who'd reached out to Learn to Live to see if we could help with the response, but we're not like um, an emergency management uh, organization. You really need to know your place, especially in disaster. And that's not what we do. But for me as a leader and, you know, I'm also a trained nurse, I have the ability to be able to go and help in a clinical capacity. And as terrifying it was Ebola, I knew that it would, I knew it was kind of like doing a PhD in emergency management, being on the front lines learning, listening. It felt like I was going to school as well as being able to help contain the virus. We then hit the road with artist and textile designer Victoria McGrain, whose growing concern for the environment led her to downsize her life and leave behind the bright lights of the fashion industry. She now runs her creative business, The Scenic Route, remotely, as she and her partner and their dog Gypsy Travel Australia in their solar-powered motorhome. Here's Victoria. The biggest thing I've really learned is trying to just keep everything small and within my means. And I think there's a, quite a movement at the moment where it's it used to be like endless growth. And I think my first business, it was all about endless growth, endless growth. And it was too much, you know, and it didn't work out. And now I'm just like constantly like, but I only need like, you know, there's sort of a, a thrive and survive figure. And I'm like, that's all I actually need. So why kill myself to try and, you know, get to this point that I don't need to be at? You know, part of yeah. this whole journey is about simplifying my life and minimizing things. I 
literally have no room for more possessions. I can't buy things. So <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's really important to say no. It was an absolute privilege to speak with Green Senator Lydia Thorpe for a special episode we released on International Women's Day. Against a backdrop of the March for Justice rallies and an avalanche of toxic news stories coming out of federal parliament, I spoke to Lydia about her experiences as a woman in politics and how she found herself in the political arena after starting her career working in Aboriginal services and running her own businesses. Here's Lydia. It's not easy. I'll be. I'll be blatantly honest. Um, you know, we, we all put on these brave faces, us women. Uh, no one knows what we're dealing with inside. Uh, it's been, I must say, the most toxic workplace I've ever worked in. Um, but I ain't about to allow these people to represent us in this way without being challenged. Uh, without being called out, uh, and without having strong women around me and part of everything that I do because, uh, we need to make, we need to surround ourselves with, with good people. We need to surround ourselves, um, with strong women, um, and men. You know, I have an incredible partner, uh, who, you know, after four years of, being in a relationship has um, changed my view on men. I've only ever had toxic men in my life. So all of those things make a real difference and, you know, my children are happy. Uh, so you have to make sure that your private life, you fix that first and, and you surround yourself with strength and support because once you've got that, and that's not always going to be perfect, but it certainly helps you deal with um, going to work and having to deal with these toxic places. Next up was tech investor Saleh Valiarpin, who started her career as an actuary in the insurance industry before making the leap to the startup world. Saleh decided to become an investor after observing the lack of women in the startup space particularly women of colour, and realising that having more female investors would open more doors for female founders. Here's Soleil. What I did find when sometimes I would go to these events where I would have older men come up to me and ask me if I was a founder or and how much money I needed. And at first I thought, oh, that's a bit funny, but it it happened it happened more than once oh, and that really? yeah and so then that that penny dropped of oh i think i think this is a problem this is this is a problem and if i were a founder and wanted to go for funding is there anyone who looks like me on the other side and so i could i could see and feel that having more women on the investing side and allocating capital will potentially change where that capital is allocated and also to whom that capital is allocated. And mm. you can't really um, – I think you have to look at it from both sides. You can't just say, oh, there, there aren't enough female founders and we need to grow the pipeline. There also needs to be female investors on the other side. 
I love chatting with my next guest, Kylie Flament, about her journey into the social enterprise sector. Having started her career in HR, she became increasingly drawn to the not-for-profit space, and now, as the general manager of Green Connect, she's become a fierce advocate for the power of social enterprise to create a better world for people and the planet. Here's Kylie. Every time I meet a young person who just needs needs someone to believe in them and back them and give them a go, or a former refugee who has incredible tales of where they've come from and the challenges they've already overcome to be here and what they want for their children and what, you know, the the, the things they've gone through to make a better life for, for life for themselves. Mm. I just can't help but think, okay, we need to double down. We need to do more because... Uh, what we're doing makes a difference both socially and environmentally um, and it's it's important I think there's a lot of businesses out there and certainly when doing my MBA you know we touched on ethics and reputation but only to the extent that it benefited that business I think in social enterprise you really are putting social and environmental outcomes on par with, if not ahead of financial outcomes. Mm. And it's a completely different mindset and one that I think needs to be adopted more broadly and is being adopted more broadly. And in our most recent conversation with Ingelise Valeng, we heard about her very personal journey to launching 21 Gifts, an initiative inspired by her daughter, who was born with Down syndrome. Becoming a first-time mum should have been a joyful celebration, but everyone was saying sorry instead of congratulations. Now Ingelise is working with hospitals across Australia and New Zealand to change that narrative and better support parents facing a similar child diagnosis. Here's Ingelise. So one of the ways that you can reframe the opening act of a diagnosis story into one you know, that shines lights on all their opportunities and possibilities. It's just to be mindful of the language you bring to the table. So instead of saying, I've got bad news, try saying, I've got some unexpected news. It's a very big difference in that. Uh, you know, don't mm. say things like, I'm sorry. Uh, and then when you're showing, you know, be mindful of the difference between empathy and sympathy, because you can feel for somebody in a situation and acknowledge that, you know, a lot of feelings may be coming up for you, but you don't have to treat them as if you feel sorry for them. Um, yes, and I yeah. think, yeah, so it's like some of those things are quite subtle. Uh, but then it's also, you know, just be mindful of, of actually even upskilling, you know, like I try to help upskill the health professionals in the latest research around Down syndrome because for a lot of health professionals, you know, they, you know, you may have done your degree, you know, 20 years ago where the findings were quite different to what they are right now. So mm-hmm. a lot of the health professionals that I talk with, they say that they haven't actually, they had no idea about all the, you know, the latest research about what life with Down syndrome actually looks like. And then being aware of that, that helps them shape the diagnosis story in a completely different way because it isn't something to be sorry about it's actually just a little bit different than what parents may have imagined but there is absolutely nothing to be sad or sorry about for a child born with down syndrome so that's it for today's episode a huge thank you to all of these women once again for trusting me with your stories and to all of you who've taken the time to listen to these stories Thank you so much, and I look forward to sharing more inspiring conversations with you soon. 
You can now find all of our episodes on our website at whatshedidnext.com.au. There's also a form to get in touch if you'd like to inquire about sponsorship packages or recommend a guest. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe, and we are proud to be a part of the Women's Agenda Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.